This is the West Virginia Soccer Association Beyond the Pitch podcast on the WVSA Digital Network. From the Sport Pens International Studios in Charleston, West Virginia, here's your host, Marcus Cole. Welcome to the podcast. We have another great show on tap. Before we welcome our guests, I want to remind you to like, subscribe, and share our program. This helps us get the word out to others and let them know that we're providing valuable information designed for soccer players, coaches, referees, and parents. And today we're going to be talking to our coaches. With us back on the program is Ian Barker. Ian is a coach of the coaches, coach of the players. Uh, so much experience uh, Ian has. Ian, welcome back to the program. Marcus, thank you for having me and thank you to uh, West Virginia for putting the podcast on and, and uh, hosting me. So thank you. Well, we appreciate your time. Uh, you've got a lot of changes going on right now in your life. Why don't you go ahead and just catch us up on uh, what you're doing and where you're going? Yeah, so um, in January, I stepped down as the Director of Coaching Education for United Soccer Coaches. Um, that was pretty much my 10th year anniversary. And um, the CEO at the time, uh, Jeff, or the current CEO, Jeff Van Dusen, was extremely graceful in accepting my resignation. Um, but I just felt it was time to step away. Um, so I've had a period of six months of, of uh, unemployment, um, retirement, if you will. But um, I found myself probably busier or as busy um, as I was previously. So still working Midwest ODP with the boys, working with some collegiate um, collegiate and academic type programs, connecting soccer players into the uh, educational higher ed. And then I'm developing some open source content for coaches so that they can find the content they need without having to pay for it or search too deeply. Excellent. And we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit later on in the program. Obviously, we're going to be talking today to our grassroots coaches because that's the vast majority of our coaches in the United States. And we want to provide them with as much valuable information as we can, especially coming into a brand new fall soccer season. So why don't we go ahead and jump right into the conversation. Um, one thing that we've had uh, when you've been on the program previously is talking about getting the kids playing as soon as they arrive at training. Why is this important and, and why do it? Well, I think the the um, notion of play is important, but for me, it's it's getting them moving as quickly as possible and getting them moving with an interaction with the ball. Now, whether that means you put them into immediately into some small-sided game, whether you have some of the great games we used to have in the USYS youth modules, so some tag games, some invasion games. Um, but what the children, I think, want to do when they get there and they get sort of ready to go uh, at any age is move and burn off that initial burst of energy and do it in a fairly free-form manner. So we as coaches, especially um, somewhat less experienced coaches, want to formally coach, and there will be opportunities for that. But they shouldn't be, in my opinion, in the first 10 minutes. So it should be setting up an activity um, with a minimum of explanation, just making sure everybody's safe and they understand it, and then letting them go and experience and explore the activity. So too often I see coaches set up an activity and interrupt after 15 seconds. Um, my belief is that you let it run for a few minutes, see what the strengths and weaknesses are of the activity and see how the players are responding. And then you can start to put in some insight. Excellent. Um, one thing I think, and I know I experienced this as a grassroots coach a number of years ago, is that 
Sometimes, you know, we have players at such different levels and abilities at the grassroots level. We've got those kids that are just naturally athletic and naturally gifted in the sport. And then we have some that may be new to the sport or maybe they're a little bit uh, timid and may not immediately gauge in a training session or a game. What advice do you have for those coaches that may have a player or two on their team that's not immediately engaging? And how can we get them involved in the game at their comfort level? So the at the youngest ages, where we may actually have a child that, that just says, I don't want to participate, I think the first thing is to empower and support that child. So, okay, if you don't want to play right now, um, maybe you can help me chase the balls. Maybe you can help me introduce the ball into the activity. Um, maybe you can... Um, find some other opportunity to continue to have the player with you, but not necessarily having to participate in an activity because they're a little anxious. And I think at the youngest age groups, that's totally fine. So rather than um, you must, or go and sit with your parent or go sit on the bench, keep them as close to you as you can and find another function for them, which is not necessarily direct active participation in the activity. At the oldest ages or the older ages, the first thing I might do is I might um, empower the players to find a teammate or a friend to work with or two or three friends. So players are very good at selecting comfort levels of friendships and abilities. And so you might have a group of, let's say, 14 to 16 players of a wide range of experience and athletic ability. But if they can self-select into pairs or into groups of three or four, and you give the same activity, but obviously one group is going to be performing at a higher level. So um, I think in that way, you can make it very inclusive. The parents and the players can see that everybody's doing the same activity, but they've all got different um, ceilings or different bars they're trying to aspire to. That's great advice because, you know, we, we, we as coaches, sometimes we, I mean, we've got to meet the players where they are. Um, 100%. Why is it important, speaking of, of parents and such, why is it important for coaches to meet with the parents at the start of a season? I know sometimes coaches get a little bit uncomfortable talking to the parents about what their season's going to be about, but why is it so important that they do that? Um, well, I think the more that the adults around the environment are on the same page and delivering supportive messages, the healthier the environment is for the children. So, um, we see it at quite a lot at the competitive level, and it's becoming, I think, more common in the grassroots level where the parents are sort of excluded from the environment. The coach um, the coach sees the parent as potentially uh, unsupportive or a threat um, in some capacity. So if we've identified with the parents that um, these are the types of trainings we're going to do, maybe not all the time we're going to be going into scrimmage activities, Maybe we're going to balance playing time in the games on the weekend. On the ride home, um, can we find open-ended questions to see if the player enjoyed the training session? What did they learn? As opposed to closed questions like, did you win? Um, did you have fun? Because the player then is, or the child is left sort of saying, yes, no, end of conversation. Maybe when the, the parent and the kid meet in the car for the first time, you don't immediately talk about the training. Um, you talk about, did you have some, you know, have, what was, I saw you were working with Marcus today. How's Marcus doing? Um, so I think there are lots of little tricks and nuances, but what I don't do is I don't present it to the parents as, you know, Coach Barker's rules. It's what what, what do we think is, is appropriate here? So for example, 
Um, if we want shin guards at training and a player doesn't bring shin guards, is that the player's responsibility? If he or she is quite young, or very often they don't get to load the car up, they don't get to determine whether they're on time. So do we penalize the player or do we say, okay, yeah, let's just have a spare set of shin guards in the, in the training bag. But I think coaches should see, and very often the coach, of course, is a parent within the group themselves, see the parents as part of the collective team with the players in the center and all of the people around the team being responsible. On the game day, coach is on one sideline, he or she has a duty. The parents on the other side have a duty, but it's different. Theirs is not an instructive duty. It is much more of a supportive uh, duty. So I think there's I think there's very nice ways of doing it um, where at the end of the season, we can all have a pizza party and be happy together. Excellent. I love that. Um, we talked about this just a little bit ago. Um, what can coaches do, especially at the grassroots level, where we do have that different level end of the spectrum of ability and skill? Um, what are some tips that you would have for those coaches to create a good environment for these players, for both the athletic and skilled player, as well as the inexperienced player to be able to get better and improve and, and that kind of thing. What kind, what tips would you uh, provide? Well, certainly everybody needs an appropriate level of challenge. And one of the um, somewhat psychobabble ways we talk about it is, is what is the player's perception of their ability? And what is their perception of the demand? So if they feel they have good ability, but the demand is low, they're underwhelmed. If, on the other hand, they feel their ability is modest and the challenge is high, then they can get very frustrated. They might get very um, anxious and upset. So part of it is making sure, and it's very challenging for the grassroots coach, that you're setting challenges that meet the needs of the group. Now, there's a couple of ways of doing this. So you could you could split the, the essentially split the group in two and have sort of a, a less experienced field and a more experienced field at the end of training. You could do that, um, but people are going to pick up on it. Now, the players are very honest. They know typically who the stronger ones are, but maybe the parents aren't so thrilled. So how about maybe mixing the group up so it's extremely even with experience and inexperience on each team and then playing a game where half the blues play half the reds for two minutes and then they've got a good burst of energy sub in sub out and so i can be as a very inexperienced player on the same team as marcus who's very experienced we might not be playing with each other all the time because we've got kind of a split squad if you will but the split squad doesn't go to another place it integrates into a high energy two or three minute burst of game so there's lots of different ways um we could perform uh, you and I could be super experienced, less experienced. So two players of vastly different ability. You go and perform the task while I rest or support or keep track of what you're doing. Then you come back in, you report to me your score, you report to me your success. And then you go off and do that. Uh, then I go off and do that skill. So an intelligent coach with a lot of intention and thought can really mix the abilities if if they want to. We're talking to Ian Barker. He coaches coaches. He coaches players. Vast number of years of experience in, in soccer. Um, why is it important that every player needs to play every single week? And I think we lose sight of this sometimes in the effort of winning and that kind of thing. Why is it so important? So in the, uh, let's go to the NWSL MLS, especially in the MLS on the men's side. 
There are young men now being brought in at, at very young ages and they are sold or they are, they are prospective professionals. That's not the level we're talking about here. And, and that's a whole other conversation. And I'm not completely enamored with all of the aspects of that. But in the in the in the grassroots in the truest sense, and I would actually respectfully expand grassroots to include a lot of your competitive travel, mm -hmm. because ultimately it's community based, community based travel. Yes, it's a, maybe a little bit higher competitive level. You're traveling to other states, but it's still essentially grassroots. Um, so so I, I embrace grassroots as opposed to a pejorative like uh, recreational used to be understood. Um, so that being the case, the player is there to improve physically, um, perhaps to improve technically and tactically, to make friends, to have a sense of self-worth maybe to learn about adversity in a team setting and collaboration and, and success in a team setting. Um, and so if we deny a player access to some of the opportunities um, because we're obsessed or we're, we're focused on winning games, we're completely <coughs> at odds with what I think the, the true meaning of grassroots soccer and grassroots youth involvement is. And that is sort of the holistic development the, the total package, the total um, experience of the child. Now, there will be games, maybe a, a competition game, a league game, a, a tournament, where it's incumbent on the coach and the group has sort of agreed that we're going to try to win this tournament. And some children will probably sit a little bit more in that particular game or two-day two uh, two experience. However, over the length of a season, the coach should be monitoring the training frequency or the, the training opportunities the players are having and are they indeed showing up and the coach should also have a season-long um, check of making sure that everybody's getting in and getting opportunities some children won't want as many opportunities they like sitting on the bench they like the social aspect they understand that they're less experienced so they want to pick and choose their moments so it's not it doesn't have to be equal but it has to be intentional and again, this is where the coach is working with the parents to really understand each individual within their group. I had a player that enjoyed just being a part of the group and he loved when it was halftime or there was a break in the action and people would come over for water and stuff. And he was there handing out bottles and just really enjoyed that. And he loved soccer, but he knew he wasn't as skilled as everybody else. But, you know, and he would come up to me and say, okay, coach, I'm, I'm, re I'm ready to go. I said, okay, great. We'll go, go in for Tommy and stuff like that. And then, you know, he'd motion to me, go, okay, I've had enough, you know, go ahead and take me out. And, you know, and you, you have to, you have to know your players, you have to meet them where they are and figure out what their expectations and what their needs and wants are for the program that they're in. That's a wonderful example, because if that young player had been, disappointed by the lack of playing time or frustrated with their perceived lack of ability, then the appropriate thing to do would be to find them another team at a slightly more um, conducive level. However, in this kid's case, he wasn't, he or she was not frustrated with the opportunities you're able to provide. They actually embrace them. So again, and this is where, where we're all challenged because too often we have sort of, we're looking for a silver bullet, right? We're looking for the I open a manual, That's what, this is the situation, this is the answer, and that's not the case. So the caring coach, the effective coach, is not a technical, tactical genius, but is actually 
a manager of children in a particularly unique environment, which is youth sports, and then additionally unique because we're talking soccer, team sport with opportunity for substitutions and so on and so forth. As we wrap things up here with Ian Barker, if you are a new coach this upcoming fall season, what's the one piece of advice that you would give to them? Hmm. Um, I kind of knew this question would come. So at the beginning of training, breathe and wait for them to get there because the likelihood they're all there at six o'clock or not is, is challenging, right? So calm um, initially. And then one of the big tricks that I like is I like to, after the first five minutes, work out how many children I have and how many soccer balls I've got. So 15 children divides nicely into three groups of five or five groups of three or two groups of seven with an all-time player or one team of eight and one team to seven. If I've got, if every child has a ball, especially at the younger ages, I'm going to do a lot of one child to a ball. If it's a typical older group and maybe we're short a ball or two, then it's collaborative opportunity. But <laughs> as, as simplistic as it is, I believe that if the first 10 minutes the coach is calm and is observing what he or she has got to work with and then is good at thinking on their feet of dividing numbers and dividing soccer balls, that can make the most enjoyable session because you can prepare it as much as you want to, but inevitably there'll be some wrinkles. And, and breathing when the wrinkles happen and having mechanisms to adjust to the numbers and to the equipment, specifically the soccer balls, I think that would be uh, my number one tip for this year. Excellent. Great advice. Uh, Ian's uh, working on a number of different projects and wanted to talk to us, uh, talk to him a little bit about one of the projects. You, you mentioned it before, that open source app. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what that is and what, what you guys are trying to do. Yeah. So to all the grassroots coaches, um, YouTube, wonderful resource. Twitter, wonderful resource. United Soccer Coaches, um, you can sign up for a free membership with United Soccer Coaches and access a library of content that I, I was partly responsible for developing. Um, <clears throat> if you're in the Twitter space, there is a web a Twitter called Smedleys, um, S-M-E-D-L-E-Y-S. There's another one called 205 Sports. And all of these are what I call open source. So many of us have, have we've all written training sessions, lesson plans, videos. And what we're doing is we're giving them back to the public so they're completely free um one i've been working with the last seven months is called five minute soccer coach that is the number five the word minute and coach you can find it on twitter and you can find it on the web so five minute soccer coach it is 100 free there's no credit card no no in-app purchase nothing it's just a curated library of, of the best content that myself and a number of many fine people, a lot in USYS have presented. So for your coaches that are looking for a little support, um, they have, you know, West Virginia Youth Soccer Association, a myriad of sites, but five minute soccer coach is the one that I've, I've been working with the most recently. Awesome. Yeah. We retweet a lot of stuff from Smedley's and 205. Uh, on our website. And honestly, I, I saw that you were retweeting a lot of that stuff. So I knew a lot of the stuff was good if you were retweeting it. So, uh, and where can people find you on, on Twitter? You're active. Yeah. So my Twitter is I for Ian, um, I Barker, B-A-R-K-E-R, soccer. So I-B-A-R-K-E-R, 
soccer, all one. Um, that's my Twitter feed. I do <coughs> a lot of retweeting, um, interesting stuff, a lot about um, programs, programmatic challenges, um, tryouts, you know, are tryouts good or bad? Um, one other resource I would encourage your coaches to look for, the grassroots coaches, is a, is a magazine out of the UK called Soccer Coach Weekly. They actually sell more copies online or in person in the US than they do in the UK. So that's great. Oh, wow. I write for that once a month. Um, a lot of people do. It's a very, very inexpensive product, but it's a it's definitely more of a, a, a weekly magazine. So if a coach is looking for um, content, all these open sources, but Soccer Coach Weekly is a very nice product that I would recommend. We'll make sure to include that link in our show notes so uh, so our grassroots coaches can know because like, you know, here at West Virginia Soccer Association, we're doing our best to provide as much information as many tools as we can to our grassroots soccer coaches, because we know that mostly, like you had mentioned before, that they're parents and, you know, they may be coming from work, right, to, you know, practice session. And so the more help that we can provide to them and the more guidance that we can, the better experience that our players and kids are going to have. And I mean, isn't that the point? Yeah. And from my perspective, the grassroots coaches are very often uh, demonstrate the most humility. They're very comfortable with, I mean, first of all, most of them are uh, coming from, as you say, from work or other responsibilities. So they don't have a lot of time to prep and they're not afraid to identify that they need some help and they have some gaps. Sometimes when you work with more competitive coaches, um, either they don't need the help or they feel they don't need the help. So there is nothing wrong with our community of grassroots coaches asking the state association, asking individuals on Twitter. And of course, most of us, the, the people like Smedley's, people like 205 Sports, uh, Five Minute Soccer Coach, if anybody reaches out directly, we'll reach back directly. And so it could be a tiny little problem you're having in a backfield in West Virginia. And just um, just pose the question and we'll see if we can come up with a potential solution for you. That sounds great. Ian Barker, thank you so much for coming back on the program. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Marcus. And thank you for listening to the show. Remember, make sure you like, subscribe, and share our program, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the West Virginia Soccer Association Beyond the Pitch podcast. You can catch a brand new episode every Thursday morning here on the WVSA Digital Network or find us on our social media platforms at WV Soccer. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.